Welcome to the Kevin and Fred Show. I am your host, Kevin Kaufman, and along with my business partner, Fred Weaver, we bring to you our podcast where we highlight some of the best and brightest in the real estate industry, along with a weekly segment called Industry Headlines. We are a proud member of the Industry Syndicate, family of real estate podcasts, and we are so glad that you are listening and tuning in today, and we hope you enjoy our show. All right, guys, welcome back to the Kevin and Fred show. And this week, I'm glad to be joined by Laura Stewart. Laura is uh, vice president of the number two real estate sales team for Royal LePage Canada. Uh, and it's our, the name of the team is REC Canada. Did I get that right, Laura? You sure did it. It stands for the Real Estate Center, but we dumbed it down to make it even easier, made it an abbreviation. <laughs> I love it. Even I can even I can remember REC. So that is awesome. So, well, Laura, first of all, I'm so glad that you could join us. So thank you for taking time out of your schedule today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, my, my pleasure. So number one, so when I first got... Uh, was talked to you about the opportunity. So I'm going to share this with you and I'll just share it with the listeners too. I have probably one to four days a week, I get an email or something on a website from someone saying, I want to be on the podcast or so-and-so should be on the podcast. And we were definitely like kind of introduced that way. However, what's, and I, by the way, I say yes to probably less than 10% of those because for the most part, it's just, you know, it just doesn't fit. And I'm just nothing. It's got to really resonate. Otherwise I'm not bringing somebody on the show, but what stood out to me, number one is, uh, you're the senior partner in a very high level real estate sales organization. Um, you're a female leader, you're in Canada. And if there's anything and you're all of, and we're going to talk some about media today too. And so, um, if there's anything that I'm all about, it's 100% helping, uh, spotlight people and things and systems and ways of business that are not spotlighted enough in our industry. So that, you know, and then to be able to just chat with you a little bit beforehand and kind of read some read, read up about you as well before. Um, totally intrigued and really excited to have this conversation with you today on the podcast. Well, damn, I feel really lucky. <laughs> One out of 10%. So yeah, thank you. And I not, really appreciate it. <laughs> you're welcome. And I'm not even sure it's that high. So um, it's, I mean, I just, I get a lot, but for the most part, I just, I need to I got to feel something with, with the other person or they got to, you know, be a previous connection or something like that. Um, but what really stood out to me, number one, I'm a big believer in more, um, more ladies need to have a place in leadership and spotlight in not just in our industry, but in this world. Uh, and number two, just again, the way you've gone about approaching your business and growing, you know, helping uh, your team just grow the way that it has, which is super impressive by the way. So let, let's dig in there first. Like tell us, um, who, like, what do you do? Like, wh where, where did you, how did you get to where you are today? Like, give us an idea of like the team. Oh God, how then, much time do we have, Kevin? And then give us the <laughs> elevator speech. And then, and then where did Laura kind of come into that? And, and, you know, and obviously you've evolved over time in, in your roles, but uh, kind of give us the, the rundown of that. Yeah. So really I'll try and make this as fast as possible. I, I really don't have your, your typical, um, story in terms of how I got into, into real estate. It's not like I was, you know, when looking back on my childhood, it's not like I was like, yeah, I was a born salesperson or a born entrepreneur. I was just like, a, let me just work really, really hard. I worked hard at everything I did, whether it be sports or my, or schooling. Like I, I was uh, a high achiever in, in everything I did. And I, I really kind of just kept my head down. Um, I wasn't one of those kids that like, you know, dicked off, so to speak, and, and had a lot of fun. I, I really just worked. Um, 
And so I, I meet a lot of people in the sales industry who say, oh, I was terrible at school. It wasn't for me. And I was like, oh, I guess we don't have that in common. I was actually pretty good at school. I actually have my, um, my MBA. So I've been in school a very, very long time. I got that in marketing and communications. So when I was doing that, I was kind of thinking like, what should I get into? I have an undergraduate degree in nutrition. I dabbled in uh, in retail sales, like in the luxury sales industry. Um, I worked at a, a, a company called Holt Renfrew, which is kind of like maybe like our Nordstrom's or, or a high end department store that you would have down there in the US. And um, then I was like, look, I, I don't want to be buying for a luxury goods store. I want to be buying at a luxury goods store. You know what I mean? Like I want to yep. be the client. Yes. Um, so I said, well, how am I going to do this? How am I going to make some more money? And, and what kind of industry rewards you for working hard? Because I knew I had that. I knew I had the work ethic. And then I thought, you know what? It's got to be real estate. So let, let me try my hand at that, which is, you know, that's a typical story. A lot of people think, let's just get into real estate industry. We have 65,000 realtors in the Toronto real estate board, 65,000. I think we're the largest board in all of North America. So it kind of puts in perspective how many people think that, you know, this is a, a, a good career path for them. So I, I just started, uh, I was 31 when I got into, into real estate and I wanted to join a team. I said, look, if I'm starting this late in, in, in my life in, in real estate, you know, I, I want to learn as quickly as possible. So let me join one of the best teams. And at the time, the team that I joined, I think they were number 10 in the country. Um, and they lived right down the street from me. So that was great. Plus that I works. wanted to kind of farm an area that I was working for. And so I just started kind of working on the team, listening to as many calls as I could, trying to get as much information from mentors as I could and, and work my own book of business. It wasn't until, uh, an opportunity came up and the, the two owners here needed some help at an investor summit, um, an educational seminar to, to kind of teach people how to build wealth in, in real estate. And I said, sure, I'll, I'll help you for a weekend. I knew no, no money was coming out of it. I was essentially just getting them coffees and, you know, being their gopher for the weekend. But I thought, you never know. These things always have an interesting way of working themselves out. And that opened my mind to real estate investing, that type of client who's multi-transactional, and I was like, oh, this is fascinating. You get to work with people again and again and again versus, you know, selling them a house once and then not speaking to them again for 20 years. <laughs> yeah. And that kind of pigeonholed me into that sort of, of um, world. And I absolutely loved it. And then I, I also got to see that the two owners, they needed some help. Like where I had my strengths in, and, you know, I had a, a foundation, a business degree, and I understood marketing and communication. So I thought, how can I help them? Because they're natural salespeople. They didn't need my help with the sales, but they needed help with the systems. And so then I started, you know, saying, putting my hand up saying, you know, I could create this type of a system for you, or have you guys thought about creating a flow chart or hiring for this? And, and that's kind of morphed into what it is now. So as you mentioned, number two team in the country, our team has grown um, from 22 agents, I believe when I started to now 51 agents wow. for which I help, I help serve. And, and uh, yeah, the sky's the limit at this point. <laughs> That's awesome. So you, I take it. So let me, give me an idea. Are you still in product? Do you help clients at all anymore? Or are you strictly on the operational side of running the business? Tell me what is your role these days look like? So yes, I, I still do help clients to the tune of about 180 to 200 a year. I actually uh, help walk through the process of particularly buying new build condos. So here in, in Toronto, that's pretty much the 
only thing people can afford for first-time home buyers. So it really is the the preferred housing type, and um, we're just not building enough here. We have about 150,000 people coming into uh, the greater Toronto area every year. The government just said they're going to be accepting 400,000 in the next couple years, and we're only building like. 35,000 units every year. So we have a, we're in a housing crisis and I help kind of try to help that by, you know, helping builders essentially sell to clients, uh, investors or, or end users. And I do about, like I said, you know, around 200 of those a year. But while having those conversations, what's really interesting is, you know, I'll be working with an investor who's like, oh, thanks so much. I bought the condo. This is great. And my daughter, you know, is moving into, um, into the city and she's looking for her first property. Do you guys do that too? And I say, well, yes, I don't particularly go out and help you shop, but I'll definitely refer you to an agent on our team right. who specializes in a particular location or a, a specific type of, of, um, of product. Um, and I'll kind of connect the dots in that respect. So our team does about 600 transactions in total a year. Okay. that's So that's awesome. Let me ask you this. How do you get to... Um, are you specifically spending your time when looking for business on that, that niche? Like, is, was that purposeful to get to the condo specifically buyers buying new build condos? Yeah, I, I really focus my attention on that. I, I I'm kind of from the, the school of thought that the riches are in the niches. Yeah. Um, it's tough in the, in, in this market, at least, um, I, I can only speak to what I know. So here in, in the GTA, it's really tough to be an expert at everything. There's neighborhoods that people are experts on. There's, uh, duplexes that, you know, that are 45 minutes outside the Toronto location that people are ex- experts on commercial. It, it's hard to know everything about everything. And I think to really advise your clients appropriately, you, you got to focus down on, on one thing and do that really, really well. So that's been my strategy. And that's the strategy of the team, which is why we've broadened our team so wide so that we can still take in the business, but we're not the ones actually like with the boots on the ground. We don't pretend to be experts in every single field. We just make sure that uh, any of our clients are connected with the right people. So, I, you know, I, I've, when I first started in the industry, people would ask me questions and you, you know, you don't want to be that real estate agent that claims to know everything, but really doesn't um, and takes business just because they're desperate. I'd rather put them with the right people and and take my referral fee or sometimes not at all. Sometimes, you know, if it's a leasing deal or whatever, like we don't charge our, uh, the other agents on the team to do that. Um, I just want my clients to be taken care of the absolute best with white glove service. And then I know that I have those clients for life in most circumstances. So let me ask you this kind of go, let me take a step backwards. So you, you go to that event and you're there to, to assist the two partners on the team and you, you have your eyes open up to, to the investor world and, and, and multi, like you said, multi-transactional clients. Um, was that, did you just at that point, was that sort of the switch where you went, okay, now I know where I want to focus my time and effort on. And if if I'm putting the pieces of the puzzle together here, was, was that then taking your passion in the industry and, and then going from like a content creation standpoint to do that? Or was there, are there other steps here in between that I've missed? Yeah, that's, that's a good point. So when I, when I first started in real estate, I think I have to kind of take us back to that point. I, you know, I was one of those people I was watching million dollar listing, you know, those TV shows. And oh, I was yeah. like, this, this is fascinating. Like I can do this. I live in, I live about seven. I actually know I live seven streets away from Drake himself 
on oh, the wrong wow. side of, on the wrong side of the tracks, unfortunately. But uh, uh, we don't really have gated communities here, so he's just like seven streets over um, in a much much nicer area. And I thought if I can kind of just break into that like luxury market, that would be really really neat. Luxury market being here, I would say you'd have to be in the four million plus range uh, okay. because like um, when I first started, my first property that I sold was a one. $2 million home, complete teardown. We didn't allow anyone in the property. It was buy as is. You cannot look at it. So a piece of garbage for 1.2 million bucks, um, Canadian, mind you. But um, still, you know, that was about six years still. ago. Yeah, It's a lot of money. And and that's, you know, and then you got to tear that sucker down and build something else. So I, I, I really wanted to be in that industry. I was like, I'd rather do fewer deals, um, but have them higher price points. So that was kind of yeah. my strategy going into it. Where I think I went wrong, and this would be my advice to anyone new getting into the industry, is getting clients who are in that, you know, 1.5 plus range, they, they're few and far between. So you're doing, I think in my first year, I did well, but I only did, you know, a handful of transactions. And when you're not, when you're new to something, if you're not doing it every single day and you're not having those conversations every single day, it makes the learning curve, it takes that much longer. And I think what was so interesting about seeing the investors, although the average price point at that time was probably in and around the $500,000 range. So a lot less, like what I was making per deal was a lot less, but I was doing way, way more of them. And it just got me more comfortable with having those types of conversations. Again, I'm not a natural born salesperson. So I didn't know what the proper thing to say on the phone was. I didn't even know a lot of the, the ins and outs of the industry. Um, you know, I didn't know what an assignment meant. I didn't know what cap development charges meant. Maybe you guys don't even have those items there at where you're from as well. So I, you know, I, it, the learning curve was, was big, but I thought this is so great to, to focus on this niche. Plus this is the way of yeah. the future here. There's no more land. So in Toronto, we have what's called the green belt legislation, which is essentially you can't build anything to a certain degree north of the city. And then we're bound by the lake on the south. So it's, it's become like a real estate island. So in a way we're like a mini Manhattan, the only way to go is up. So I knew like, if I'm gonna have any type of future in this industry, it's gotta be in the condo space. And that made me want to know as much as I could to then help my clients. So I wanted to educate them the best way I could provide them with the best service. And that's kind of how I got into the content because I thought if I'm just educating people daily through my content, um, you know, at some point they might be ready to, to take the plunge and actually buy a new build condo. And hopefully they'll come to the person who's been educating them all along. Yeah, I, man, I, I love that. So, you know, I think what you said though, there, there's a lot, lot of lessons there. I've got a, a friend, um, Michael Burnoff, who trains a lot of salespeople in, in so many different industries. And one of the things I picked up from Michael, um, and by the way, uh, he's, he wrote an amazing book last year called Average Sucks. Um, I've had him as a guest here. <laughs> That's on, the best name ever. It is, right? Yeah, I've had him as a guest on the show a few times. But one of the things he he, he likes to talk about people is that people, especially in real estate, but I think it's probably just life. We all like to like get, we're getting ready to get ready. Like we got to know all the things. And you mentioned like it was such a steep learning curve, but the way to learn is to just go out and do it. You don't need to have every single script memorized or know all the things. Like if you actually just start taking action. So, I mean, there's a lot of lessons there in what you just shared the last two minutes 
if you just go out and take the actions that you need to take and you're intelligent and you actually care about doing good at your job, then what's going to happen is you're going to learn those things and you're going to find yourself in transactions and in situations where number one, you get an opportunity to learn. And more importantly, you also get an opportunity to, to, to make some money and to really get your career going. Right. And so I, I love that because to me, that is just such a reflection of someone who you are like the prime example of someone who didn't just go, I got to get ready to get ready and have the perfect website and the perfect business card and all this stuff designed first. But you just went out. I made those mistakes just so you know, <laughs> but you move, but you move at moved. the start, at the very yeah. start. But then I thought that's not the right strategy. Yeah. And although I love, you know, I, I went to school for branding. I, I think that's actually what I love the most, the marketing aspect of what we do here. Um, but the, Wanting to provide great service to your clients, I think is the thing I'm, I'm most proud of. Anytime a client's not happy or anytime a client sends an email and says, you didn't give us this or where's this, I'm always like, oh no, we messed up because I take, I really take that to heart, right? Um, if they have to come to us for anything, I'm like, we should have had the foresight to provide them with this way in advance. So how can we make that better next time? And that's how I got super into the systems and how we can make things much more efficient. And sorry, I cut you off, but no, just no, wanted that, to say, I did make those mistakes. That's good, <laughs> but you obviously didn't make them for too long. Otherwise we wouldn't be having this conversation. So, because because you got there and, and I see so many people where it just, it they just get so frozen um, because they don't know everything that they think they should know in order to do their job. And so I just, I love that lesson there. And, and it's so, it's to me, it's no wonder why you've found yourself in what, six years in the position that you're, that you're in and helping now run the largest, you know, second largest team. I'm, I'm guessing you guys maybe one day will be the largest. Um, well, we were the Canada. largest one year ago, but I don't know what happened in 2020. So hopefully oh, this year, this year is the year we're going to get our first place weird. back. Yeah, 2020, 2020 was weird. <laughs> it was weird for all of us for different reasons, for sure. So let me ask you this because, because you did spend your education uh, on the marketing side. One of the things that we talked about is just the importance of producing content. And I know that's a big, big deal for you is kind of media and, and, um, and branding. Tell me, what is it about that that is so important to you? And, and what do you, I guess maybe the better question for me, for me to ask you, Laura, is what, what should people know? What should agents who are listening to this know that, that they don't like, what's the overwhelming message you'd like for them to, to pick up on? Uh, so I really, as I mentioned, you know, I, I took marketing in school and one of the classes we took, which I thought was really fascinating. Now, keep in mind, this is in, I probably took that class in 2013. So, you know, the world was a little bit different than, bit, it, than yeah. it is now in terms of like social media, for sure. And, and the class was, it was called Me Inc. So, and the whole idea of the class was branding yourself as a business, just like, you know, Procter and Gamble would do, or, yeah. you know, Johnson and Johnson's like, they, they brand themselves, they market themselves, but now you need to do that for yourself. So this coming off of, you know, the, the Kim Kardashians of the world and realizing the, the power that a personal brand can really have. And yeah. I just thought that was, I was like, well, this is perfect for real estate agents. This is exactly what I need to do. So that's when I got super focused on the luxury market at that time, thinking, you know, that's what I want my focus to be. And that's what all my content is going to be in and around. Um, obviously today, uh, you know, I'm not the first one to tell your audience, I'm sure, about, about uh, the importance of branding themselves. But what kind of happened over time was there was a bit of a, a tragedy that happened. So I said there was two business partners when we were at that investor summit. There was actually a third. And unfortunately, um, he passed away 
quite tragically um, in 2017. And he was the face of the company. Like he, it, the like REC Canada was synonymous with his name. He did all the, the webinars. He, he did all of our seminars. I should say we weren't doing a lot of webinars back then, but seminars and, and our clients really resonated with him. He was the educator. And all of a sudden, you know, the, the face of the business is gone. And we were all left like, well, now what do we do? Like, I haven't been on stage. Have you been on stage? Like, who's going to take his place? Um, so left a, a huge hole in, in our company. And at that point, one of the two partners, we were kind of, you know, saying like, well, somebody needs to, to step up. And luckily, Jazz, I think, was ready. He had learned so much from his mentor who had passed away. And he said, you know, I think I'm ready for this. Um, it wasn't easy at first. I mean, he went on his first time going on stage was I was sitting in the back like this is this is awful. Um, he was just so nervous and he was trying to be somebody he wasn't. And I think that's, that's the key message there. He, he went up and he was trying to make the same jokes that his mentor used to make. And, but his mentor was 20 years older than him. Um, and it just didn't resonate. And I, he came off and I was like, who the hell was that guy? Like, that's no, you got to be yourself. You can't yeah. pretend to be anybody else. And in that, he he kind of came out of his shell a little bit more. We decided that we should start a podcast for our business. When that, you know, in 2018, uh, no people weren't really talking about podcasts. They weren't certainly not as popular as they are today. We started a podcast saying, let's just educate people. And, you know, he's going to be the face of the show. And he's going to go on and talk about his 20 years of experience in the sales and service industry. And that kind of got him out of his shell because he was forced to do it. We started with just audio, no camera. He wasn't comfortable with that to start. And then over time, it was actually, we had a podcast set up with Ryan Serhant for Million Dollar Listing yeah. in New York City. And I said, we're not going to go all the way to New York City and do an audio only podcast with Ryan Serhant. We're bringing the cameras. So that kind of forced him to get in front of the camera. And from then on, you know, I, I really helped him um, brand himself. He produces, I'm going to say, over 20 pieces of content every single day on all the platforms. The man is relentless, loves the camera now. Um, at, at, oh, yeah. Like it's been a complete 180. And the, the good news is, is like this actually has resulted in sales. People now stop him on the street outside our office saying, I follow you. We don't know who they are. Um, you know, thank you so much for all the education. I'm not ready to buy anything yet, but if when I am, I'm coming to you. And we realize the power in, in producing content. Um, people really trust people who take the time to do exactly what you're doing, like to put their face on camera and to have these types of conversations and to educate their clients. And that was really kind of how I helped spearhead him. And then after I saw that, I was like, oh, damn, okay. that I want to do that too. So that's kind of how, you know, I'm at that place now where I'm getting a little bit more comfortable with the camera myself. And I just think it's such a huge opportunity for every single agent out there. And I want to stress the importance of not concerning yourself with the number of likes and comments you get at first, because that can be demoralizing. Yep. Um, it takes a long time. We've been doing the podcast since 2018. We got, it was crickets at the start. It was probably just our, both of our mothers who watched that podcast because we forced them to, you know what I mean? Like that's my baby girl on the podcast totally. um, where, you know, but it, it takes a lot of time. Consistency. We put out a podcast every single week. We're relentless about it. Um, and, and some are better than others. Um, and, and that, you know, 
it takes time. That's all, that's all I'll say to people. So if you're, if you're going to get started down the content route, which I think you should just know that this is not an overnight th success thing. This is not about buying followers, buying likes. This is about engaging with your community, finding the people who resonate with you and who are like-minded to you and who like what you have to say and just going deep on those relationships. It's not about, it's not about width. Yeah. I, I can't, I mean, I couldn't echo what you're saying enough. Like it, it really is. It's, it's, it's time on task over time. And, or as I heard someone else the other day, just being relentless in the same direction for, uh, you know, for a long period of time, like that adds up people. I, some people, not everybody understand what compound interest is like, right. But they don't understand how that could affect their business or their content. And, uh, you know, yesterday we were at an event, a buddy, a business partner of mine, who uh, put on an event here in, in the Phoenix area. And one of the things he said about social media is you have to become a, stop being a consumer of social media and just become a producer of it. it you know, it's because it is so easy to get caught up in that. And, you know, I, I so I, I think what you, you hit there, did you, I mean, the fact that you, did you say, I wrote down 20, is it over 20 pieces of content a day that yeah, you said he's producing? I, I Sometimes I think it's 30, it kind of depends on the day. But like people laugh because they're like, I, Jazz, I see you everywhere. His name's Jazz Hacker. So give him, give him a follow on social because you'll really yeah, we'll, see we'll the link, power of it. We'll link, we'll link to him for, for sure here. In the yeah. Notes. And it's, and it, you know, just him and I, we strategize every single day about it. This isn't just like, oh, I have to make a post today. It's, it's, it's a strategy. We take the time out of the day. It's just as important to work on the, your social media strategy as it is any other strategy of your business, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Um, the good news is, is that's where people's attention are. So if you understand that, you know, people aren't reading your emails, people aren't looking at the just listed, just sold flyers that you drop in the mailbox and they literally go like this right into the trash can, right? right. They're, they're on social media at home. So you're right. As opposed to you being on social media at home, going, scrolling through your, your phone, why don't you think about ways that you can be in other people's phones when yes. they're at home, right? So it, whether it, we have a, we have a book that we wrote that teaches people how to buy, sell, and invest. And like, sometimes when we can't think of any content, we just scroll through the book, open it to a page, read the page, and then do a quick little story, even 15 seconds, selfie on yourself. It doesn't have to be this big edited thing that people think, you know, it's, and it becomes overwhelming when it's like, yeah. I have to produce a podcast and then I have to edit it. And I don't know how to edit it. it that can be so overwhelming. And I think for most people, I just say, start small. People will come to us and they'll say, oh, I'm, I'm going to start a show and it's going to be three times a week. And I'm like, settle down. Yeah. You're going to burn out in two weeks. Trust me. It's like, just start small. If you've never put even a phone on you, that can be very overwhelming. So if you're not comfortable with that, start with a blog. I like it. You know what I mean? Start with producing content the way you feel most comfortable, whether it be audio, video, maybe you like drawing, maybe you, you prefer to write, start that way. And then build off of that, eventually getting to the ultimate, which is is video. Yeah, I think that's such great, um, such great advice. L let me ask you this: so as you've as you've sort of um, obviously developed as a professional and real you know real estate professional, you've you've clearly you've taken on a leadership uh, position within within your guys' organization. How has that been for you? And is this like was that the first time you've taken on a leadership position and um, can, like, let's have that conversation for a minute. Yeah, I would say it, it is the first time I've taken on a leadership position formally. 
Um, I think I was always kind of one of those types of kids in school that was like leading the charge, um, you know, in, in, in whatever sport I was that. doing. Yeah. yeah. Whatever sport I was doing, I was kind of like the rah, 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 like, let's go get up, let's get going. But in terms of like work, yeah, I, I was, I, for so many years, I kept changing industries. So I was always kind of starting at the bottom again. Right. And so this was, yeah, the first time that I've kind of moved myself out of the admin role and actually into a leadership position, which I've struggled with, I, I got to admit, it's not, I'm not a great delegator. That's a, that's a skill in and of itself, learning how to delegate when I was always the one being delegated to. And I, and a lot of the times, and I don't know if this is a female trait, maybe it's just a me trait. Um, but I feel like I see it in a lot of women. It's, oh, I'll just do it as opposed to putting that work on somebody else. Cause you feel bad to give other people more work. And I think that's been the, the hardest thing for me to, to grasp with. I, I'm a pretty loud person and I, I can kind of push my little bit of weight around. I, I'm five feet, so I don't have a lot of weight, but I, I'm loud. And I, you know, I, I definitely am not afraid to stand up to the two men that I'm surrounded with who are, you know, they're powerhouses. But when I tell them, when I talk, they listen. So I think that, you know, setting that foundation up front is very important, particularly for women. But man, learning how to delegate, I, that's one of the skills I wish I knew way sooner. So wherever you are in life, if you can practice that skill, I would say that that's going to help you. No, no doubt about it. We could all get better at that. Um, and I, I think there's a lot of, so part of it, you mentioned not wanting to like feeling bad for giving them somebody else more work. I think the more common theme I see come up and I do, cause I get to talk to so many different agents uh, is the really more from a control standpoint of like, they just want it done their way and they need the control of it. And so they're afraid to give something up, not because yeah. they don't want to. And so that that's definitely, um, you know, that's definitely a reoccurring theme that I see in the, in the industry. As a, and you know as, what? Can, oh, sorry. I was yeah, just no, gonna no, say, go I, ahead. I, I think that that comes from fear. Yeah. You know, oh, I, yeah. I hear a lot of people say I'm a perfectionist. And I used to say that I'm a perfectionist. Things have to be perfect before I send it out. I, I truly think that that's people being fearful of the judgment of others. And uh, it's the, oh, if it's, it's not a, perfect, I don't want to put it out there. And I don't, and I'll wait. And it's I, an, and that is debilitating. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, when you get to the core of it, that's, that's an ego, not wanting to look bad. Uh, and therefore it's going to be done my way, which is the perfect way, but it, which obviously there's no such thing as perfect and it doesn't do anything but hurt everybody involved. And so that is, that is such a common theme and, uh, and something, let me ask you this as, um, as a female in leadership have like, what has, do you feel like it's been harder for you to transition into and learn Has it made it, or has it been easier? What's your, what's your thought on that? This one's a tough one because I don't, I certainly don't want to set women back by any means. I mean, it, I'd be a fool if I didn't know what the numbers out there suggest about women in executive positions, um, you know, women's salaries compared to men's salaries of similar jobs. I'm aware of all these things. And I know that there's certainly a gap. It's been my strategy that what I think has worked well for me is that I haven't paid much attention to it. I don't know if it was my upbringing, my parents never treated me much different. My dad played just as many sports with me as my brothers did. I, I had a lot of guy friends growing up. So I've just kind of always kept my head down about it. I don't look for reasons that I think something might be happening because of my gender. Um, and in many cases, I actually view it as being a strength because 
perhaps I am underestimated at times. Um, I, like I said, I'm five feet, I'm petite, I'm blonde, uh, I'm a woman. Um, so I'm sure that I get pigeonholed as being a bit of a flake or, a, you know, whatever it is, just a dumb blonde at times. And I think that's been my superpower because people don't generally see me coming. Um, I like coming from behind. I like being underestimated. And so it doesn't, I, I haven't focused that much attention on it. Although I understand that maybe my experiences have just been, been different, but I, I urge people to, you know, you get what you focus on. And I think if you're, if I'm look, out there every single day, looking for the ways that women are mistreated, I'm going to find them all yeah, for over sure. the place. Yeah, I'll find sure. them. And so I just try not to focus on it. All I can do is control myself and the work that I put, the effort that I put, and I've been greatly rewarded for it thus far. So I feel very, very lucky. And I work for two incredible guys um, who are big supporters of women and who pass the mic, just like like you said, yeah. who, who, who are trying to help women feel more confident. I think that's where the biggest hole is for me and a lot of women I work with is our confidence. Men can put a camera on or they could take pictures. They can speak in front of a group of people and women just seem to have a harder time with it. We, we judge ourselves on our looks a lot more, what we said, we'll double back in our minds. Did I say that correctly? And did that come across how I meant? Did I hurt that person's feelings? And I don't hear men saying that quite as often. So, you know, my goal in life is if I can even change one, one woman's thoughts on themselves and, and their strength. I mean, that, that to me is such a win because I hope to have more of that to myself. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's, that's where I'd like to focus my attention. Well, what I love is that you're doing that, but just by you doing that and being who you are, you're giving number one, set an example. And in my opinion, when you do something, regardless of what it is, when you do something and you're setting an example, you're whether conscious or subconscious to others, you're, you're giving them permission. Um, for the, per cause there are people that feel like they need to have permission who like, there are, like, there are other people that should be in leadership roles that are not because they haven't given themselves permission, um, to apply for the, apply for the role or to just step up and sort of take it. Right. And I think that is in such a male dominated industry, um, you know, just leadership in general. Um, I think that's something that's awesome that, that you're doing because while you don't necessarily see what could be bad out there, and again, we could all do that. It doesn't matter who you are. When you look for the bad stuff, it's there. Um, you got to keep actually looking for more of the good stuff. But by doing what you're doing, um, you, you set an example and I think you give people permission. I think that's awesome. Awesome. I, I appreciate that. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no doubt about it. I mean, you're, I mean, you're leading from the front and, and from behind from, from what I can see here by uh, very clearly from a, just a vision standpoint, um, you're obviously leading the charge on sales. Um, you're leading the charge and helping, you know, in growing just the entire company overall, like that says a lot about from your contributions. And so um, I, I love that you're doing that. And, um, I love that jazz and the, and, and your other partner have, um, given you free reign to, to do so. Cause that's, that's well, very cool. So much. So actually, uh, jazz and I, out of all the content discussions that we had, uh, because people were coming us to, again saying, you know, how do you do it? And we were giving them the guide, like, this is how we produce 23 pieces of content every day. This is the macro piece of content that we film, and this is how we slice and dice it. So we're happy to give all of that information away for free, no charge. Uh, but what happened is people would come to us months later and we said, but we gave you the blueprint. Why didn't you do anything with it? And I think where people get stuck is the, a lot of agents, they don't want to, they don't know how to hire people, right? Oh, a lot yeah. of people work on them by themselves for themselves. They don't, 
they don't have uh, an assistant. So let alone hiring a videographer and editor, they don't know what they're looking for. So we actually, uh, my, my partner here at REC Canada, and I just recently started a new company. It's called From the Ground Up Media, where we're actually helping agents produce that content because we know we figured out that that was the place where people were getting stuck the most. And we wanted to say, look, let's remove this barrier for so many people. If that's the only thing holding you back, which is the hiring of people and, and, and getting good quality people to help you produce content. I mean, we got you covered. And so that's been a, a wonderful business venture. And again, I, you know, I think is, is a testament to the guys I work with. Um, that they would bring me on as as a full partner um, on on something like that. So uh, I, I feel very lucky, very fortunate to to be surrounded by the people I like. And quite frankly, I moved around so much. You know, I I, I urge people if you're not happy where you are or what you're doing, um, you can always start over. I, I started this at yeah. 31 years old, um, and and quite frankly, I, I'm starting now a new business at 36 years old. Who knows what I'm going to be doing when I'm 40? And I and I kind of love that. I have no clue and I'm, I'm good with it. And so I urge people like you work way too many hours in your life to waste on doing something that you don't like. Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. Well, so Laura, as we start to wrap up, let me ask you this. What, what should I have asked you that I haven't like, what should we have talked about that I haven't brought up yet? Um, that is such a good question. What should you have asked me that you haven't asked me yet? Um, Maybe another way of putting that is like, what's the message you would like to get out to all, to all the listeners? Um, like, what's what's the thing you'd like to leave them with? Yeah, I guess you know, for me, what's what's really worked well in my life, and and I I don't know if it's going to work for everybody. I I really encourage people to kind of figure out what works for them and stick with it. But for me, I'm you got to kind of like self analyze often, and I do this every single day, multiple, multiple times a day. I, I, I assess my life. I assess myself. I assess situations that have happened. And I'm always looking at it from the, how can it be better? Um, my morning routine is, is so, you know, I got that down to a science at this point because I wake up at 4.30 in the morning because I like that early morning time where I can get everything done. I like to work out. I like to read. I paint. I meditate. I walk my dog. Um, so I make sure like everything's lined up and it's quite rigid. So I get that that's not for everybody, but at the same time, it's kind of like what's working. And then I just kind of try to double down on that. Um, okay. and I'm always, always looking from a place of how can this improve? How can this improve? Cause things can always get better. I try not to get too bogged down in the, if it failed, um, but always the, how can it be better next time? And so that's kind of where I've gotten to this, this stage in my life where I, I, I do have my personal time kind of down to a science. And, and that allows me to really focus my attention on what I have to do at work and what fires do I have to put out there? I don't waste any, you know, extra bandwidth on the rest of it. That's awesome. Um, I, I love that. And I, I couldn't agree more. I think um, just, re just recently I had a guest on um, my buddy, Dustin Runyon, who really talks about like, that's all he has to talk about is basically working on yourself and reflecting on, on yourself and, and how much it's helped him. So I could not agree more with that. I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, yeah, I mean, you got to get, that's one of those things, right? In life, you have to uh, be able to look at yourself in the mirror. And sometimes you don't like it. Like you don't yeah. like what you see. And I think people are fearful of going there. They're fearful of going to those tough places and saying like, I suck at this. There's the amount of times I've apologized to my <laughs> colleagues, to clients for, you know, you got to take ownership. 
you got to take ownership. You can't put the blinders on and it's, you know, it's time to get real with yourself. That's the only way you're going to improve. Yeah. That's, you know, that, that, that is so true. Um, I gosh, that is getting real with yourself, taking ownership. Um, no matter what, like regardless, the thing Dustin and I talked about was it's fault and, and responsibility or fault and ownership are two totally different things. Just because something isn't your fault doesn't mean you should not take ownership or responsibility over the situation. Um, and I think that um, getting better at that is I know something that I can do uh, and probably everybody else who's listening as well. That's a great point from a leadership perspective. As I was talking about learning how to delegate, the second thing I would say is, is learning how to take ownership of other people's uh, mistakes, because at the end of the day, the buck stops with you. Yeah. Um, if you're at the top of the organization, that's why you get paid the money that you do because you're at the top and everything ultimately is your fault because you hired that person or you didn't fire that person or you didn't give someone the proper yeah. work environment or the right time off or you didn't reverse engineer it for them. So that's such a good point, Kevin. Uh, I wish I came up with that one myself, actually. <laughs> No, there's nothing new. You can take it off. You can take it and put your name on it for sure. Uh, nothing new under the sun for sure. So Laura, I just want to say thanks a lot for spending some time with me today and our listeners. I really appreciate you taking time out to do this. We'll have to get jazz on here again, some or get jazz on here soon uh, to do another podcast and, and talk more about from his perspective. Um, but I appreciate you taking the time to just come on and share your story and your journey and, and the impact that you've made uh, and uh, spending that time with us. Yeah, you bet, Kevin. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak to, to your audience and hope that I was uh, able to provide some value today. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. And guys, we'll see you again next week. Have a great rest of your day. Today's episode is brought to you by Kevin and Fred's community at eXp Realty. Learn why over 1,000 real estate agents joined eXp Realty last week. Join us for an informational webinar this Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific time. Register at intro to eXprealty.com.